0: Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. Ha. Ah. Open your
1: eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies.
0: Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, a rather uneventful cut-down week edition of the Peter King Podcast. Uneventful, that is, in all places other than New England, where Cam Newton is out and Mac Jones is in. Mac Jones becomes the third rookie who has been named the starting quarterback of his team uh, for opening week 2021. Um, obviously, you know that Trevor Lawrence was named quarterback in Jacksonville, uh, and the Jets are going with Zach Wilson um, in their opener this year as well. Uh, Cam Newton apparently did not impress Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels enough to stave off the inevitable, which is that Mac Jones was going to be the quarterback at some point of this franchise. Bill Belichick said, I can only go by what I see, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, And uh, basically picking the young quarterback from Alabama, time will tell if he's correct. And I am going to uh, spend some time early on in the podcast with Paul Burmeister, sort of uh, picking apart the decision, what it means, and also what it means for Cam Newton's future. Look, um, my feeling is that probably more than anything else that we have seen, uh, this is a classic Bill Belichick decision. because I think uh, I think there's one really important thing about this decision, and that is that last week against the, New York Giants in practices in Foxborough. Uh, you know, I had heard that Mac Jones and remember Cam Newton missed three days because of his little uh, traveling impropriety. No, you know where either he got confused. He thought he could just test wherever he was, and you can't if you haven't been vaccinated. You have to test at the team site. He didn't do that. Um, and so Mac Jones picked the, the toughest, probably the toughest day of practice playing the number one defense of the New York giants, not the number one in the league, but their first team defense for a full practice, basically by himself, not alternating reps with Cam Newton. And he killed it. And I think that showed both Josh McDaniels, uh, Bill, the offensive coordinator and Bill Belichick. That he could do this. Um, and the fact is, you ask anybody who saw a lot of training camp, you know, all the media who was there watching almost every day, they were unanimous that Mac Jones had a better training camp than Cam Newton. What does that mean exactly? Does it mean that, um, you know, you automatically play the guy who had the better training camp? No, I don't think you automatically do that. But I think that if you're Bill Belichick, You have to be saying, A, why delay the inevitable? B, this kid has done everything we've asked him to do, and we're going to give him this job. Now, there's one other thing. And look, Paul, you have been in this. You've been in these rooms, these quarterback rooms, you know, obviously, as a former college quarterback at Iowa, as a former camp quarterback with the Minnesota Vikings you understand the chemistry of a quarterback room. And so although I think that uh, basically, I think that Cam Newton has been a really good veteran influence on Mac Jones. It's one thing to be a good veteran influence on a guy in training camp when that guy is not going to take your job. But now if you are going to be a backup quarterback for the first time in your career, and you think that you've done enough to win this job, and your attitude is not the greatest right now, if you're the Patriots and you see all that, maybe you just say, you know, we're gonna go sink or swim with Mac Jones. If he doesn't play well, we'll play Brian Hoyer. I think one of the things this comes down to, look, we've seen it, Paul, we've seen it. In the last 12 months since the opening weekend, of the 2020 season. You know, this, this quarterback, Cam Newton, has not been the same as he was when he won the MVP six years ago. Uh, and I think not being the same is putting it very kindly. Um, mm-hmm. He has not been good at all. And he's, he's had moments where he's done well. But look, I, I just think Bill Belichick looks at this and he says, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off and we're going with the kid.
1: I think there's two sides of this, Peter. I think you bring up a lot of good points there, but there's the football side and then there's the COVID side. And I, I would like to hit the football side first here with Mac Jones. And when when the situation came about last week, Peter, with however you describe what happened with Cam Newton and the misunderstanding and the COVID reasons, he wasn't around for a week. And a lot of people said, a lot of people that I trust, they had different versions of it, but their, their bottom line was, Cam left the door open and what he left the door open for was for Mac Jones in very difficult practices, sometimes unscripted practices, a lot of times more game-like than the actual preseason game, left the door open for him to continue his ascent there in training camp and do it against another team and for the coaches to picture what it might be like for him to be under center opening week against Miami and he continued to do very well and you also have that memory in mind, Peter. You brought this up a little bit. The fact that he, Cam Newton wasn't very good last year. Only two passing offenses in the NFL were worse than the Patriots. The Jets, people lost their jobs. They drafted a quarterback number two. And the Ravens, and as you pointed out today, they have so much more, a, a significant amount more rushing yardage than every other team in the league the last two years. They can get away with their passing offense being at that point in the league. The Patriots can't get away with that again. They're not getting back to the playoffs with that scene again. So you've got their first round pick every day getting better and better and better. And Cam Newton, for a lot of reasons, raising more and more questions. The cutting of Cam Newton is a surprise. But I don't think the naming of Mac Jones as the starting quarterback really ought to be a surprise at this point.
0: I think it's a, it, both of those points are great. And I think now when you look at it, look – I covered the Giants for four years in the 80s. Bill Belichick was on that staff. If I heard this said once, I heard it said 50 times. Bill Parcells would say to the guys in the media, fellas, we didn't have any women in the media that that, that, in those seasons, we didn't have any women beat writers anyway. Um, But he'd said, fellas, all I can do is go by what I see. And I think Belichick, uh, it, it's not a controversial statement, but if you have gone by what you're seeing throughout training camp, if, uh, if Mac Jones is better than Cam Newton and you're Bill Belichick, why wouldn't you give him the job? So I think all of us were basically saying, hey, look, he's, gonna let, uh, he, he's really gonna let Cam Newton basically bench himself. But I think Bill thought, who gives us the best chance to beat the Miami Dolphins in a week and a half? Who does? And I think he thought it was going to be Mac Jones.
1: I think it's fun, too, Peter, when you can tie a headline in today back to what kind of the lead story was a draft season. And you and I sat right here in March and April and talked about Mac Jones. And I think one of the things, if you liked Mac out of college, you liked the fact that you could watch him at Alabama and you could project what he did in that offense with the kind of drops he was taking, the kind of routes he was throwing and say, okay, that's, that's an NFL kind of thing. Now he's surrounded by NFL talent, that offensive line, running back and receiver, and people wanted to knock him because of that. But what he was asked to do in that offense, you could picture it in the NFL. And now you line that up to what we've seen in his three preseason games, the way he's reading a defense, the way he's getting to his drop and getting rid of the ball on time, and it's going to the right spot with accuracy. If you liked him in Alabama, You can picture what we're seeing right now. And I think that's really fun as a draft junkie to to think back of what we, how we were describing this guy. If you were looking at him with the glass half full in the spring to what we saw in August, it all lines up. And Bill Belichick got to see that every single day and he knows it better than you and I do, but uh, it all kind of goes in line for me that this guy is living up to he's playing the exact same way he played at Alabama. Now we'll see if he can do it in September as opposed to August, which will be a lot more difficult. But um, the way I looked at him in the spring, it all goes together with what he's doing right now.
0: Hey, Paul, let's do a whip around around the league in the, in the half hour we have left. You got it's it. It's to be quick, and I want your opinions on these too.
1: Very good. Let's, uh, let's start out in New Orleans, and there are more important things, more important concerns, Peter, than football right now, but football is somewhere down the list in New Orleans. They're supposed to host the Packers uh, the first Sunday of the NFL season. Uh, they're practicing in Dallas right now what do you make of how they've adjusted and do you think there will be football in New Orleans a week from Sunday?
0: I don't think there will be football a week from Sunday in New Orleans Uh, as we sit here right now uh, in the last couple of hours Sean Payton has met the press in Dallas which is their temporary HQ I expect that to last for several weeks now Um, not that uh, the, the Saints practice facility uh, has been torn asunder or, or ripped to shreds uh, that I've not heard anything honestly about it. But it, it has to do with the fact that now is not the time to play football in the Superdome. Now is not the, ti- the time to take resources and to put them in, uh, you know, toward a football team practicing or playing. That plus the fact that who knows when there will be electricity there. So I think that most likely, most likely, but not certain, the, uh, the, the Saints, uh, who, by the way, only have two football games in the, you know, between now and Halloween at home. So they play uh, September 12 against the Packers, the opening game, and then they play October 3rd against the Giants. Uh, both of those games are scheduled to be in the Superdome. And, uh, and, and that's it for basically almost the first two months of the season. So I would anticipate that they would have to move the, uh, the game against the Packers. And if that is the case, you know, the NFL with these 272 regular season games, they basically have a plan for every one of those games for an alternate site, just in case some disaster befalls the home site and you've got to play somewhere else. And normally you might look at the Saints and say, well, okay, um, you know, it'd be very close to go to Atlanta. Uh, Indianapolis has has staged some of these neutral site practices games. Detroit has been the same. Uh, Houston is very close, but bizarrely, okay, uh, in the... uh, on the first Sunday of the NFL season, Indianapolis is at home. Detroit is at home. Uh, Houston is at home. Atlanta's at home. So they can't go to any of those places. And that leads me to believe that the best possible site for them is going to be in a place that uh, does not have an NFL game that Sunday. And that is AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas where as we speak this afternoon, right now, the Saints are practicing. So that would be my guess. I don't know that. Uh, and obviously, it could go somewhere else. Who knows? Maybe they go to Minnesota. I, you know, but I just think they don't want to go to a place that would be anything like a home field for the Green Bay Packers. They want to try to sustain a little bit of that for the Saints.
1: I would imagine the NFL would be pretty willing to work with them, considering what's going on in their hometown. and The fact that they're in Dallas, as you mentioned, right now practicing. So that would make perfect sense since the Cowboys are in Tampa on Thursday night. Uh, football-wise, it also makes me think too, Peter, what a good choice it was to go with Jameis Winston, a, a guy who has five years experience starting the league. Just one extra thing to deal with that's out of the ordinary if you went with Taysom Hill. I think, I mean, Jameis is probably the most likely starter on that team to deal with his unfortunate situation in the best way. Let's, let's stay in the state of Texas. Deshaun Watson, on a lot of people's minds, uh, as we speak right now, he is a Houston Texan. What do you know about this situation?
0: You know, um, it's, it's, a, it's obviously a mysterious situation. But I think the, the, the most accurate thing that you can say about Deshaun Watson right now And the reason that it appears now that uh, he will not be traded today, I think most people thought if he was gonna get moved this fall, it was either gonna be after his legal cases, 22 legal cases have been adjudicated or on the day of uh, the roster cuts because people are trying to get their roster settled for the year. Um, And the fact that now as we record this and we're past four o'clock in the afternoon, it certainly appears that he's not going to be traded, but here's the most interesting part of this. We can, we can talk about how ridiculous it would have been to make a trade right now, but that's absolutely correct. But there are three teams out there right now that in my opinion are the leaders in the clubhouse to acquire Deshaun Watson. Um, and two of them are because of the owners involved. One, Stephen Ross in Miami, um, it has been on record inside the organization uh, since the days of Mike Tannenbaum running the show. We must do everything, everything, to get a uh, to get a a, a a prime time heir to Dan Marino quarterback. Um, and so. I think one of the interesting parts of this, when you think about it, is that, you know, you just look at those two teams. You look at one of them, obviously, is Miami. The other one I meant to say is Carolina with also a very, very aggressive owner. They want to get a quarterback. But I also think the Philadelphia Eagles um, will definitely be involved. They have a lot of interest in Deshaun Watson. And although... I think the interest in Denver is probably the coolest among those four franchises, potentially in Deshaun Watson. They still will be very interested if either Teddy Bridgewater isn't incredible this year or they can't get Aaron Rodgers. So that's what I see happening uh, probably after this season with Deshaun Watson.
1: Peter, I I think about this situation and I read through your article a couple of times this morning and just... I think of Deshaun Watson right now with that situation and the unknowns with what's coming up in the future, near and long-term for him, the ask of, of three first-round picks seems incredibly rich. I think the ask of two first-round picks right now with the unknown is rich. As you talk to people around the league, is, do you get that feeling too?
0: Nobody wants to pick. I mean, look, I have great respect for Charles Robinson, and I believe that there probably was the the reporter from Yahoo broke this story that the Dolphins are very interested in Deshaun Watson. Uh, I will not be at all surprised if they had conversations with the Texans, just feeling them out about what it would take. But I just simply can't believe that any, I shouldn't say this, it's not a crew. I was going to say, I can't believe any sane person would trade for Deshaun Watson with all of the ifs and buts and maybes uh, in, in his case right now. So I don't believe, all right, I don't believe that the Dolphins and Deshaun Watson are a dead issue at all, okay? I just believe that the time is just not right for Deshaun Watson uh, to be moved. Uh, and I can't believe that any team would pay max value for a guy with what is in his immediate future used
1: to work. It reminds me of conversations, Peter. I used to work with Charlie Casserly at NFL Network. And we'd be talking about whether it was a free agent or a potential high pick or a potential trade that had a lot of other stuff to consider. And he'd say, we would get to a certain point with Joe Gibbs where he'd say, let somebody else do it. Let somebody else do this. It's not going to be our building. And I just, I'm reminded of that. And they has to be that feeling inside of plenty of buildings as well. As you moved around the training camp circles, Peter, let's let's think about the New York Giants right now. And one of the fun parts about going to these camps as a reporter, you don't love or hate the team. You're just evaluating based off of what you see. You can be optimistic about the team or you can have concerns. If you wanna look at the New York Giants and think about their concerns, what comes to mind?
0: Well, I did not go to Giants camp, okay? And my exposure to the Giants Was limited to watching uh, the first two and a half quarters of their game against the Patriots on Sunday night um, from my apartment in Brooklyn. So I am nearby. I am no Patriots expert, believe me. I'm I'm sorry, I'm no Giants expert, believe me. But the point that I would make about this that I think is you can't uh, underestimate right now. And that is, there is such concern from people I talk to around the league about, you know, the Giants, especially their offensive line and the fact that virtually every one of their key skill players, as we sit here 12 days before their opening game against, by the way, an excellent defensive team in the Denver Broncos, uh, they're, they're, they're in trouble on offense in a big way, um, their offensive line doesn't look good. And, and look, in the last two days, they've traded for two backup offensive linemen. Uh, the first one, I mean, I was, I was a little bit shocked when I saw this. They traded for Billy Price, who despite being a first round pick of the Bengals, I think three years ago, um, has had a horrible NFL career. I, I asked the people at Pro Football Focus to look into Billy Price for me. And they said, since, since his, the first game of his rookie year, there have been 89 centers in the NFL that pro football focus has graded. He grades out 86th out of 89. And, you know, the giants paid a make it depth defensive lineman uh, for Billy Price. And then, The Giants, even though they got a fifth and a seventh back, which is okay, they traded a pick that could be right around pick number 105. They traded their fourth round draft choice next year for a backup guard on the Ravens that probably wasn't going to make their team. I don't know. I don't like what I'm seeing with the Giants, Paul. Uh, I don't like all these injuries. Basically, you know, you'll see that Kadarius Toney and and uh, and Kenny Galladay, if they play in the opener, they're probably not going to be 100 percent. And if they play in the opener, uh, they're they're not going to have good chemistry uh, with Daniel Jones. I mean, there's a dark cloud hanging over the New York Giants as they get ready to start the season.
1: But yet there seems to be a positive feeling about Joe Judge and what he is doing on the field. Could this be one of those situations where maybe the GM is on the hot seat? but the coach is moving in the right direction?
0: GM's definitely on the hot seat, but I can't, I mean, look, I, I, barring an absolute debacle, I cannot see John Mara moving on from Joe Judge, even if they have a bad year. John Mara told me he was going to, he's going to have patience with this regime. Um, It's easy to say that, but John Mara is also the boss of the team that over the last four years is tied with the New York Jets for the worst record in the NFL. So, you know, you can be patient, but he's gonna have to, if they don't have a good year, I think it's gonna be very hard for Dave Gettleman to stay.
1: There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience, while candies and sodas compete for your attention hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies.
0: The Premier League is built on hope—the hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunes to make an impression. The hope
1: of rewriting history. leaves his calling Come. And
0: the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA, and Peacock.
1: Steve Bishotti's gotten used to a high level of winning in Baltimore. I know you spent some time there. And, Peter, I I commend you for for being professional about what you saw there journalistically in Baltimore, but not shying away from the personal side, too. When you get to know somebody a little bit, you like the way they present themselves, you like the the way they play. J.K. Dobbins, the young running back, tears his ACL. It's hard to spend time with him and then see him suffer that injury, you know, really just days after you got to know him a little bit. So, Uh, I'd like to hear about the football side, uh, what their response is going to be, and also your personal tie in
0: there to J.K. after you got to know him. Look, I never met J.K. Dobbins in my life, so it's silly to say I know somebody after I spent 12, 15 minutes with him. It's silly, and I would never do that. It's like people say, well, hey, you know Tom Brady. I talk to Tom Brady three times every year. I'd say on average, something like that. I mean, that doesn't mean I know Tom Brady, you know? (laughs) I mean, I, I, I have a relationship so that I talk to him and we have some interesting off the record conversations and we uh, email back and forth. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't know Tom Brady, okay? But, and it's in this case, I don't know J.K. Dobbins, but when I met him and he talked about, I said, how important is it for you to, uh, you know, to have that, to have that every down, back with, you know, inside the nirvana for running backs, the Baltimore Ravens, and he goes, man, how much do I want it? Let me think, well, let me think of a good, a good way to put this. He goes, I want it more than, than I want to breathe, and, you know, and then something like five days later, he tears his ACL, there's more internal damage in his knee, he's out for the year, and he's had a long road to come back to be, J.K. Dobbins again, you know, by this time next year. So it's just, I'm sad about it. I'm just sad about it. But on the other, on the other end of it, uh, Paul, you know, the Ravens have proven in the last few years, you know, that he, they put in Gus Edwards in the last couple of years and he's given them uh, between five and six yards of carry each year. And he's a very reliable guy look, I was telling somebody today who's a huge fantasy football player. It's a, it's a woman, she's in four leagues. Mm. And I said, where's Gus Edwards? And she goes, I don't know. You know, maybe, you know, he's somewhere in the twenties with the backs. And I said, I'm just telling you, you, if you have a pick around 15 or so in any of your leagues and Gus Edwards is there, take him. you won't regret it. Um, I think Gus Edwards could gain 1200 yards and have a lot of touchdowns. He's a good goal line back too, but um, it's going to be Gus Edwards. uh, And, you know, they hope clearly that, uh, that he can do what he has done in uh, you know, in, in lesser roles now in a very big role with a, a strong playoff contender.
1: Uh, Thinking about them as a playoff contender, Peter, I mean, they they always seem to be when John Harbaugh is there. Chris Sims and I talked about it yesterday on On Button. Their over under for wins is 11.5 with the new 17 game schedule. Chris and I both took the under. What do you think?
0: I mean, it makes sense because, in my opinion, if you look at their schedule, um, you know, I guess you could look at the Bengals and say, well, You know they're they're probably going to beat the Bengals twice, but I don't know that there's anything's a lock anymore with Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow could end up being Dan Fouts. I just think he's going to be a bombs away guy with a really good receiving core. But you know they they have a very tough division. There are no gimmies in this division. There's no two wins over Cleveland anymore. They might win two over Cleveland. They might lose two to Cleveland. And so. If I had to pick, I'd probably take the under two, but nothing would surprise me. As I wrote this week, I find it absolutely amazing that, you know, basically think about this. You know, Mike Tomlin has been the the head coach uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, since 2007. John Harbaugh, the coach of the uh, Baltimore Ravens since 2008. Combined, they've had one losing season in all of their years in Baltimore. (laughs) And look at it. I mean, that's Harbaugh, one losing season out of 13. Tomlin, no losing seasons out of 14. Incredible. And and as I wrote my column this week, you know, their combined or their regular and postseason wins in the decade that just finished Baltimore 104, Pittsburgh 104. So, you know, there's great expectations, but I'll tell you, losing J.K. Dobbins is, you know, if you told me that Gus Edwards is going to be healthy enough to give you 300 carries and to uh, to not be hurt for 17 weeks, I would say, okay, I might pick the over. I, I just, I think the running game, I think they're going to be good in the running game, but I do think there are going to be some questions there before the year's over.
1: You mentioned Dan Fouts, let's officially go out West and bundle the chargers and the Rams. Let's begin with the chargers. I love watching Justin Herbert play. I would love to see the chargers be really good again, but something inside of me, Peter, makes me think that they're going to be a really exciting 500 ish kind of team. Again, they'll find a way to be a little disappointing in fourth quarters. What makes you so bullish that they're going to be a little different, a little better this year?
0: Look, um, I'm just like anybody else. I look at a team and I look at a team uh, on on its high end and I look at the Chargers if Bosa and Derwin James both can stay healthy and that is a huge if, particularly with Derwin James who's played five games combined the last two years. So that is a huge if and I don't know what's going to happen uh, with them. But I think that with Justin Herbert playing, they're going to average 26, 28 points a game. And with those two players leading this defense, I'm just telling you, I got to be careful about how excited I am about the Chargers. I'm picking them to make the playoffs. And they might play Kansas City pretty close deep into December for that division. But, you know, we'll see. I, I'm being, But I'm very, very bullish um, on the Los Angeles Chargers.
1: Yeah, it'd be fun to watch that team win with the, with the way Justin Herbert can play. It's just good for football if, if that kid is playing in January. Staying in Los Angeles, I think when Matthew Stafford got traded to the Rams, Peter, a lot of us connected the dots and said, oh, that talent with that play calling of Sean McVay, that's going to be fun. Many of us haven't moved past that. You have spent time inside at the camp with Sean, with Matthew. What can you add?
0: That, you know, my feeling is that uh, in the past year, maybe year plus, that Sean McVay, who always enters uh, every game with a massive play sheet, I don't know how many plays are on it. The, The Saints have about 190 on theirs every week. And I bet Sean McVay has at least that, maybe more. I just think there was a segment of his play sheet that he was uncomfortable in using, um, with Jared Goff as his quarterback. And that's no way for a coach to go into a game. Now, whether, whether or not there were a bunch of plays on the play sheet, he didn't love or, or whether he just didn't put in some plays that he thought would be great to run against a specific defense, but he just wasn't confident in Goff's ability, um, you know, to, to execute those plays. And, and I'm going to emphasize this, Paul. When I talked to Sean McVay, he never said that to me and he didn't even imply it to me. It's just the feeling I get for being around his team, that they're a lot more comfortable right now with the, uh, arm talent and decision-making of, uh, Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff. And again, look, they got the best defensive player in football. They may have the best cornerback in football. Um, I think they're going to be good enough. They cu- they were number one in defense in the NFL last year. They lose Brandon Staley, but you know, they're two biggest foot soldiers there. You know, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they're both back. Um, and traditionally they don't get hurt. So I just, I think the Rams are a real threat to Tampa in the NFC. see what kind
1: of threat they are to Seattle in the NFC West. And when it comes to the Seahawks, Peter, uh, a lot of really good veterans are, are going to command a whole lot of money. Where do you think this is going there?
0: You know what really makes me uneasy right now with the Seattle Seahawks? You hear now that Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, and Quandre Diggs, the the safety, the running mate alongside of, uh, of uh, uh, Jamal Adams, both of those guys are basically staging little, you know, work slowdowns as they get into training camp, uh, get deep into training camp rather. And I just don't think that's good. I think that to play uh, a schedule with two guys at crucial positions one is, is your left tackle, and another one is your uh, as, a, as a center fielding safety um, in a division where they're going to throw the ball an awful lot. Um, as a matter of fact, I had a funny little, I, I talked to Diggs when I was in Seattle. And Diggs told me that when the trade was made between the Lions, his former team, and his former uh, teammate, Matthew Stafford, um, and the Rams that landed Stafford in his division. That Stafford and uh, uh, Sean McVay FaceTimed him together and basically said, hey, Quandre, you better back up. Um, And So this is a division where you better have an excellent secondary if you're gonna be competitive. And I just, those are storm clouds that you don't like to see in the week or, or so before the season starts.
1: I think the biggest storm cloud, and there weren't too many, Peter, with the Kansas City Chiefs, but all of us who watched the Super Bowl last year worried about the offensive line, where that was going, if they were going to be good enough for Patrick Mahomes in the years moving forward. They spent a lot of money. They used smart draft choices to fix it. Now we're all waiting to see what's it look like. What have you seen?
0: It's a great question. My feeling is that they've done, I think, a very good job in in – uh basically saying to Patrick Mahomes and to his team um because Brett Veach said it to him the GM said it to him after he got hit more than any quarterback ever got hit in Super Bowl history last year we're going to fix the offensive line don't worry and they went out they got Orlando Brown who's going to be the left tackle they got the best available Garden free agency Joe Tooney he's playing left guard they drafted a center from Alabama in the second round, Creed Humphrey, he's going to start opening day. The big surprise, big surprise, is Trey Smith at right guard. And I, I saw two practices. He was stoning the guys across from him. Um, he had heart issues uh, and I think a blood clot in his, in his lung, if I'm not mistaken, at Tennessee. And all everybody in the NFL was scared off by him. He's got a clean bill of health. We'll see how long that lasts. But he wins that job, and then last year's third-round pick who opted out because of COVID, Lucas Niang uh, will start at right tackle. It is amazing, amazing that in the span of four months after that ugly Super Bowl performance, that they totally remade their offensive line, and they will go into a game opening day against the Cleveland Browns in that oppressive front seven. Um, And that offensive line is going to have a real, real test right away.
1: Peter, organically, you walked me into this last topic and we emailed today. You said, Paul, you picked the last topic. I'm picking the Cleveland Browns to win the AFC North and to beat Kansas City in week one. I just I love where Baker Mayfield is going. I put a lot of stock into synergy with with quarterback and play caller. And Kevin Stefanski, to me, is one of the brightest young head coaches in the league. So. I think they knock off the chiefs early and I think they move past the Steelers move past the Ravens and they will be your AFC North champions.
0: Hey, look, I picked them as when I did my rankings of the teams in May, uh, I had them the best team in the, uh, AFC North. And I think they very well could be, um, here's the thing about the Browns that is very, very interesting. The the Browns and the Ravens, I think, have a little something in common. They both could win 12 or 13 games. And I believe, this is just me, that they're both going to wait to sign their quarterbacks till after this year. Hmm. I think they both want to see a little bit more. It's one thing to say, oh, you got to pay Mayfield. You got to pay Lamar. Well, you probably do. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, one in three in playoff games. Has never scored, led an offense that scored more than 20 points in a playoff game. Um, Baker Mayfield had a very good last half of his season last year. Uh, but are you absolutely sure that for the next 10 years, Baker Mayfield's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL? I'm not. And maybe he will be. And uh, but but I think both of those teams are going to wait to pay their quarterbacks. I, my, I, I should say this. I should say this. I would wait yeah. if I were those teams to pay their quarterbacks. <laughs> um, the thing about the Browns that I really like right now and everybody talks about man they could be explosive on offense they've really got a tremendous uh, they've really got a tremendous set of weapons on that offense but I'll just say this right now to me they are going to line up on opening day and they're going to have Miles Garrett on one side, Jadavian Clowney on the other side. And look, I am not in love with Jadavian Clowney. I like him, um, but I, I I don't I don't know about him. I don't necessarily trust him to be a franchise pass rusher. But you've got the, you got Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, and then you have a I would call it call him a rehab renovated Tack McKinley who the Atlanta Falcons thought was going to be a goldmine for them. He never really turned out to be. But what happens if you ask a guy to play 14, 15 snaps a game? Right. right? And, 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 who, and I don't know what McKinley's role is going to be. And the one other thing that I really like about this team, I like the fact that they have a solid, solid linebacker group that is going to, when, when when he learns everything and knows where he's supposed to be and everything. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is going to add gold to that defense. I just think their front seven is gonna be real trouble. Kansas City is gonna experience that on opening day.
1: And to bring this Browns AFC North thing full circle and put a bow on it, Peter, back to Baltimore. We talked about J.K. Dobbins. We've talked about Lamar Jackson maybe a silver lining here without their best running back healthy for the year. Maybe they're forced to play a different way. And the fact that they're 32nd in passing offense last year, if their run game isn't what they thought it was going to be, maybe they absolutely have to get better at the pass game. And maybe that'll make them a tougher out in January and allow them to to live a little longer in the playoffs than they have.
0: You know, I I think that's a really interesting point to make. But as we sit here right now, the Ravens receiving core is a lot like the Giants receiving core. Yeah. Almost every one of them is, is banged up. And so, and they're look, these are all, these are not major injuries. They're soft tissue injuries. But but still look at it. Even and, and you go into uh, Nick Boyle, the tight end, who they absolutely love, he's on physically unable to perform. But you know, Marquise Brown has missed a bunch of time. Rashad Bateman has had groin surgery. James Perche, who they love, by the way, they've got a good receiving core if all of them are healthy. But, um, you know, it's crazy that one of their healthier guys is Sammy Watkins, who spent his years in the NFL now, never quite being able to make it through a season totally healthy. But, you know, it's, I'm totally fascinated by the AFC North because we didn't get to talk about them, but. Hey, look! I only saw the first team offense uh, in a game against Detroit for three series, but wow! The that the brand new line protected them against Detroit. Uh, ben Roethlisberger uh, it led two touchdown drives out of three, and this Pat Fryer move, uh, you know, their new tight end. Uh, I'll tell you, they're they're they. <laughs> And and plus, Roethlisberger looks like he's lost 15 or 20 pounds. Looks great, yeah. Yeah, he looks a lot better than he did at the end of last year. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but I love that division. And we got to get out of here, Paul. But listen, I appreciate you taking the time. This is – we're going to have a great time this year. Uh, We're going to have fun every week talking football. We'll bring some guests in at times. Uh, But also, Paul, I want to say that next week – you're not going to get away with not making your picks because next week <laughs> on this program, I am going to make my picks. Super okay. Bowl, I'm going to pick MVP, I'm going to pick rookies, everything. So I'm calling on you right now. Get ready, yeah. okay. do your homework because next week it's not just going to be, hey, Peter, who do you think is going to go to get to the Super Bowl? I'm going to say, well, Paul, I'll tell you if you tell me yours
1: outstanding i'll be willing to play that game i may pick and prod at yours a little bit but i i will be sitting here ready with my own picks i appreciate the heads up
0: all right great hey listen thanks everybody for listening to the peter king podcast mostly uneventful cut day edition other than cam newton and we'll be back next week to tell you you're not even going to have to watch the nfl season because Paul and I are going to tell you exactly how it's going to unfold all 17 weeks. But hey, look forward to uh, uh, another podcast next week. And thanks a lot for listening to the Peter King podcast.